Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And things get off to an ugly start in Florida with a total racist slur by the Republican candidate against Tallahassee Mayor Andrew Gillum. Hello, everybody. Happy Thursday. Can you believe it? Here we go already. August 30, only two more days before the Robert Mueller investigation shuts down, uh, says Rudy Giuliani. We'll see how that works out. What do you say? Good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. So much to talk about in Trump world, as always, and uh, we'll bring it to you from our little perch right in the heart of the action here in Washington, D.C., our studio in Capitol Hill, where we uh, have our eye on uh, what's going on at the White House, of course. What's going on? The latest with the uh, Odyssey, if you will, the final memorials uh, and, and remembrances of Senator John McCain. His body will be flown to Washington today in order to lie in state in the United States Capitol under the United States Capitol Rotunda tomorrow. Uh, also, uh, the president taking credit for the great job that the United States did down in Puerto Rico and yes, the Florida governor's race off to an ugly start yesterday with a racist epithet coming from the Republican candidate for governor, Trump's guy, Ron DeSantis. So much to talk about, so much you are going to want to comment on. We want to hear from you. As always, send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, as we roll into the news of the day. But first... This Hello? is the Full Court Press. We're here, we're here. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Yes. How about Serena Williams? Yesterday at the U.S. Open, she continued her role by beating Karina Whithoff. It was the first time that they had ever faced off, but she won uh, pretty easily there. Pretty easily, which means she goes on, she moves forward, and her next opponent will be... Her sister, Venus Williams, yesterday she talked about it. Definitely going to be a really tough match for me. And once again, it's early in the tournament, but 
you know, it is what it is. It is early in the tournament. She's still got a long way to go, but she's going to have to beat her sister Venus. It's just amazing, those two women. They're, but, I mean, they're the crazy good. The biggest story, of course, is Serena's wardrobe. I know. Yes, the Serena's wardrobe yes, is, yes, is a whole thing. She couldn't wear the cat suit, so yeah. now she's come out. She had a tutu. A tutu. I know. I Which know. just shows <laughs> the ridiculousness of I the know. whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. Right? All right. We go to New York City. The New York City Housing Authority uh, officials suspended two employees at the Bronx Housing Project. Uh, they were sent home without pay for 30 days because apparently they were getting drunk and having orgies on the job. That is what was going on in the New York City Housing Authority. Uh, it's the strongest punishment, by the way, that the authority can give somebody before the investigation is complete. So they're investigating probably going to lose their jobs but you can't fire them right away until the investigation is done so they the public housing man again just a hotbed of clearly sexual activity yeah <laughs> clearly uh, in fact they were saying that as many as 40 people could be involved in this situation <laughs> 40 people uh, having drinks and having orgies. That is an orgy. 40. That's a, 40, yeah. 40 yeah. is definitely an orgy. Yes, yeah. that qualifies as an orgy. And, uh, you know, it's hot out there. It's hot Tell out me there. About it. Yeah. But don't worry, next year is going to be a lot colder. That is the word from the Farmer's Almanac. They put out their uh, prediction for 2019 earlier this week, and they predict, quote, teeth chattering cold and plenty of snow. So. Brace yourself. I mean, it's still a long ways away, so things could obviously change. Yeah, but has, has the Farmer's Almanac ever been right about anything? You know, I honestly don't know, and that's a very good question. It's a very good question. I don't really put much stock into the Farmer's no, Almanac. I think, I think it's like the Tooth Fairy. Yeah. yeah, you know, we have radar and things like that these days. We can predict a little yeah, bit more I mean, accurately. Some, it's some guy leaning on his fence saying, you know, it's going to get cold <laughs> next year. That trick knee's been acting up. <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. Well, what do you know? Donald Trump throws one more top aide under the bus. Right. Loyalty's a one-way street around the White House. Hello, hello, everybody. Here we go. It's Thursday, August 30. This is the Bill Press Show. We're live in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., in our studio on Capitol Hill, and we join you all across this great land of ours and all around the globe Online, on the radio, on television, great to see you. Thanks for climbing on board. Thanks for being part of uh, the show today. And uh, we know uh, you're eager to know what's going on, what's all the latest in Trump world and the United States of America as well. I don't think the two of those are the same. I think you have to differentiate them. There's one world over here, Trump world, insane. And then there's the rest of us who are holding our breath and hoping to survive Trump world for the little bit longer that it's going to last. Uh, at any rate, we join you on uh, online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. We're here with you on television, on Free Speech TV, coast to coast, and all around the globe, joining you, of course, on uh, well, online all around the globe and on the radio in Indiana, statewide on Indiana Talks, out in Chicago. How about it? WCPT, here we are, and there you are. want to hear from you all. On the news of the day, send us your comments on Twitter, uh, at BP Show. Again, lots and lots to talk about. And yes, indeed, 
I don't know. Consider this. Uh, you're dumb again. You're the White House counsel. That means you're the top lawyer in the country, in outside of the Supreme Court, I guess you could say. Uh, you've been working for the man. You've been defending him as president for the last um, 18 months or more. In fact, even before that, you were with him during the campaign. You were with him before the campaign. This, this has been your guy that you've been serving as his personal attorney and his White House counsel for about four or five years. And you're sitting in your office and you got your iPhone and you see there's a tweet from the president of the United States and you pick up your iPhone and you find out through the tweet you've been fired. I want to read Donald Trump's That's tweet. what happened to Don McGahn yesterday. He learned, just like Rex Tillerson, before him, Secretary of State, he learned he'd been fired by Donald Trump by getting a tweet that he knew nothing about, did not know was coming. Donald Trump tweeted, uh, White House Counsel Don McGahn will be leaving his position in the fall <laughs> shortly after the confirmation, hopefully, of uh, Judge Brett Kavanaugh to the United States Supreme Court. I have worked with Don for a long time and truly appreciate his service. Now, McGahn had already planned on leaving after it, the midterms. He had talked about it. Yeah, yeah, maybe then, maybe early next year. I mean, he wasn't going to hang around for four years, but still. Right. Donald Trump tells him when he's going to be out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. As soon as the it's vote. It's death by Twitter. Yeah, yeah, death by Twitter, indeed. But, you know, think about it. I try. I started this morning. I could not remember the names of all the people, top White House people and cabinet members, that Donald Trump has fired. Oh, there's no way you could remember it all. I mean, you know. You can't uh, keep up with it all. I, I, I saw last night on the screen, uh, one of the TV, one of the networks had uh, little little pictures of everybody <laughs> who's left or been fired from Donald Trump from the Trump White House. They had enough and, room? Well, that's what I mean. It, they were all tiny little photos because there were so many. <laughs> it looked like, like a class picture of the, you know, a Harvard graduating class, right? <laughs> Law school, right, of 2018. But, I mean, just the names that I was saying. Hey, Peter, you can add to this, but they include uh, Reince Priebus, Hope Hicks, Steve Bannon, that Rob Porter guy, Sean Spicer, the Mooch, yeah. uh, Dina Powell, and then cabinet members, oh, the Omarosa, too. Oh, yeah, sure, yeah. Cabinet members, uh, Tom Price, David Shulkin, Rex Tillerson, Scott Pruitt, but there are a lot more than that. There are a lot here. more than that. I, 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 There's that other, uh, the other attorney, uh, Todd, whatever his name was. Yeah, the guy with a big mustache. Oh, Ty Cobb. Ty Cobb. Ty Cobb. Yeah, yeah Ty Cobb it. is right. out. Also. And so now um, Don McGahn will be added to the list shortly, and it's predicted that there are several mem other members of the White House Counsel's Office who have stuck in there just because Don McGahn is a good guy. Uh, that they they feel will will leave with him, and and one of the one of the things this this does not bode well for the Trump White House. What he's really doing, and has been doing, is getting rid of anybody who would ever disagree with him or challenge him on any issue. He doesn't want anybody around who says no, Mr. President, you can't do that. And one of the issues where he and McGahn have clashed is firing Jeff Sessions. So it's more clear than ever that once McGahn is out, so the way Trump sees it, he gets Kavanaugh confirmed, he gets rid of McGahn, then he fires Jeff Sessions. It's also reported today 
uh, in the Washington Post that this flipping of Republican senators who just a month ago said, oh, no, 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 no. Trump cannot fire Sessions. That's the red line. Cannot cross that red line. He's our buddy. We serve with him in the Senate. He's the attorney general of the United States. He's supposed to be independent. He did the right thing by recusing himself. Donald Trump cannot go there, cannot go there. But suddenly now they're all saying, oh, you know, nobody lasts forever. We, we talked about that yesterday. Mitch Mc, uh, not McConnell, sorry, but Lindsey Graham says that. Chuck Grassley, chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, who said before, never, 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 I won't even hold a hearing to confirm another attorney general if he fires Jeff Sessions. Now Chuck Grassley is saying, well, you know, <laughs> no job lasts forever, right? Yeah. You know, uh, we talked about Roy Blunt yesterday. Even Shelby, his fellow attorney from Alabama. It's, which is amazing. Amazing, right? Says, yeah, Jeff Sessions, he's expendable. So, And the reason they're saying that apparently is, according to the Washington Post, Donald Trump has been lobbying every Republican senator personally. He never talks, according to the Post, never talks to a Republican senator that he doesn't say, look, I need you for one thing. I need you to support me in firing Jeff Sessions. So he's been, he's, he's made that his cause. And part of that is getting Don McGahn out of the White House. That's what this is all about. You know, it, it's really amazing to think for a second. We, we already know that Donald Trump doesn't Loyalty. work. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Donald Trump doesn't work very hard, right? Like, I, I was saying the other day, look at how the presidency ages people. Look at what it did to Barack Obama. Look at what it did to George W. Look at every every person who's ever been president. They end up, whether it's four years or eight years, they come out looking like they've aged yeah. 30 years. Right. Right. Donald Trump's not going to have that problem because he's not working very hard and he doesn't worry about it. But the things that he does worry about, are the pettiest, dumbest schoolyard fights. He doesn't worry about national security or making no. making the country better or, or should I even say making America great again. <laughs> uh, he just cares about petty, petty fights. Well, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you one thing. His hair will not change. No, his hair, his hair will be the same ar- deep orange yeah. it was the day he leaves as it was the day he the day he walked into the job. That's right. That's a hundred percent right. You know what? We I just thought of that. This is okay. This is a tangent, folks. Excuse the tangent, but yeah, that's all right. you got to wonder about how often he's got to go in for the hair job. Yeah, once a month. I think more often than that. Probably got to be. Yeah. And how do they do it? And where do they do it? I mean, maybe that's why he always goes to Mar-a-Lago or Bedminster, or maybe they have a special room at the White House. But somebody's got to come in. Yeah. And unroll that whole, you know, sheaf of hair <laughs> and put the orange back on. There have been a couple of times. Seriously, can you imagine that? They're going to have to wrap, yeah. you know, wrap them up, put, lay them down, the whole thing. Oh, there have yeah. been a couple of times that in, scene. in Donald Trump history, not when he was president, <laughs> but uh, where his hair got messed up or whatever. Well, and it is a complicated ordeal that's happening on top of his head. Like, there's a lot going on up there. And it's almost like he has one hair that's six feet long that he just wraps around his head. Like it's it's just a weird thing. I don't know what kind of math they I'll, use to I'll, make it work. I'll, I'll bet you when he gets that hair job, you know, you probably have to sign six different legal forms before you're allowed in that room. Don't you know it? 
Yeah. I mean, if there if a picture, and I bet you there's somebody holding a gun to the head of the hairdresser yeah. saying, "You say one word about this." <laughs> yeah, you know it. Oh God. Yeah. Mm-mm. Anyhow, uh, loyalty, loyalty, Donald Trump. <laughs> he did talk about Don McGahn yesterday, talking with reporters, uh, as he always does after he fires somebody, Steve Bannon or Reince Priebus or anybody. He fires them, and then he said, "Rex Tillerson, what a great guy they are." Don McGahn's a really good guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, been with me for a long time. Privately before this, he represented me. He's been here now. It'll be almost two years and uh, a lot of affection for Don. There's another little sticky matter, which is uh, we learned last week uh, that Don McGahn also voluntarily sat down with special counsel Robert Mueller and spilled the beans about everything he knows about Donald Trump, which did not make Donald Trump very happy, apparently, privately. But publicly yesterday, he says, oh, it's all good. I knew all about it. Gave him my blessing. I knew, I knew he was going also, you know, as you know. I had to approve it. So uh, we, didn't, we didn't claim executive. Uh, no, I don't have to be aware. We, uh, we, have, uh, we do everything straight. We do everything by the book. <laughs> Gee, come on. That's, that's <laughs> Who believes that? <laughs> that's one of the biggest lies he ever told. We do everything straight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We do everything. Mr. By the Book. We, we, we do everything by the book. When I think mm. Donald Trump, I think rule follower. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, he does everything thought out, everything very very well planned. Like, for example, raising the flag up and down for John McCain. Could decide which how he wanted it. That was yeah. all by design, Bill. It was all by the book. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. In that uh, little roundup with reporters yesterday, too, uh, somebody asked him about uh, now, um, do you have any more thoughts about Puerto Rico? Because after all... You went down there and celebrated what a great job the United States had done, what FEMA had done, what job, what a great job you had done in Puerto Rico, and you bragged about how few people had been killed. Now we find out uh, that the death toll actually wasn't 16 or wasn't 64, as he had once claimed it was almost 2,000, according to George Washington University report, which the governor of Puerto Rico has accepted. There were at least 2,975 deaths as a result of Hurricane Maria. But Donald Trump yesterday says, oh, no, 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 we get an A+. We've put a lot of money and a lot of effort into Puerto Rico. And I think most of the people in Puerto Rico really appreciate what we've done. Oh, yeah. I love that. Whenever he makes one of these sweeping statements, like, most Americans agree with me on this, right? Or... Most of the people of Detroit would agree with me on that. He says all the time, most of the people in Puerto Rico believe Donald Trump did a fantastic job. I'd love to go down there and see an actual poll about the people of Puerto Rico and what they think about the American response. Donald Trump, again, just clueless on that. Um, While we're on that subject of outrageous statements made by Donald Trump, this one escaped a lot of attention. But you talk about the fear monger. You talk about the guy who, who wants to, to paint things the, in the worst possible way. So Monday evening, he invites these evangelicals to the White House. They, they, they cooked up this phony event to have a dinner honoring evangelical leaders. Like, why? What have they done? And it was no, no particularly religious festival they were celebrating. You know what it was? He was just thanking his base for sticking with him even though he's a serial adulterer and paying off, making hush payments to porn stars. Um, But they stuck with him, so he's got to pay them back, having a dinner at the White House, where he warned them that 
if Democrats are able to take over the House, take back the House this year, it's not just that they're going to change the agenda. It's not just that you might start impeachment hearings. He says there'll be violence in the streets. We don't have the exact recording of, of um, uh, the President Trump, but we do. Here's Wolf Blitzer from CNN quoting the exact transcript of the recording which CNN does have. And I'm quoting now from the recording that CNN has heard. I think we're popular, but there's a real question as to whether people are going to vote if I'm not on the ballot, and I'm not on the ballot. A lot of people think I don't like Congress. People say I'm not voting because the president doesn't like Congress. It's not a question of like or dislike. It's a question that they will overturn everything that we've done, and they will do it quickly and violently, and violently. The president said, there is violence, his words. When you look at Antifa, these are violent people, he continues. You have tremendous power. You were saying in this room, you have people who reach uh, preach to almost 200 million people, depending on which Sunday we're talking about. Close quote. Can you believe that? I mean, Democrats take back the House and there's going to be violence in the streets. It's just outrageous, irresponsible that a president would make a comment like that. Uh, but uh, there it is. And you know what else is going on here? which I haven't heard anyone else point out. Think about this. Here's the President of the United States inviting religious leaders into the White House to talk politics. Was it? The whole gist of that statement to them was they've got to get their people out to vote. On a good Sunday, he said, you preached to 200 million people, and I'm worried that not enough people are going to come out to vote because I'm not on the ballot. So what he's telling them is, your job from the pulpit is to get your flock out to vote for Republicans in November. Um, not to get picky, but if that's not a violation of the separation of church and state, I don't know what is. Doing it at the White House and encouraging them to do the do it from the pulpit. I mean, Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Get on the job. Go after this guy. That's exactly what that is. Yeah. Uh, and we called him out on it. Uh, well, on the political front, things got off to a bad start in Florida yesterday. We know uh, this is set up to be the classic race. We talked a lot about it yesterday. The classic governor's race in the country. With Tallahassee Mayor, big upset, Andrew Gillum, the Democratic nominee, He's supported by Bernie Sanders, supported by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. He is uh, a real progressive. He's the Democratic nominee, and he's up against the exact opposite, the Donald Trump guy, Ron DeSantis. So DeSantis, who was created by Fox News, that's where Trump discovered him, goes on Fox News yesterday to crow about his victory and if it, and no doubt about where this race is going with DeSantis' comments about Andrew Gillum, who happens to be not just mayor of Tallahassee, but an African-American. Uh, listen closely. Let's build off the success we've had on Governor Scott. The last thing we need to do is to monkey this up by trying to embrace a socialist agenda with huge tax increases. The last thing we need to do is to monkey this you tell me that's not a racist slur. That's exactly what it is. Let me tell you something. 
I mean, and of course, DeSantis denies that. How dare you suggest yeah, r- of that course. there was anything racist about that? Look, first of all, how, how many times have we heard anybody say, we we can't monkey this up? That's, 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 that's a phrase he invented. That's not a phrase that's a common phrase anywhere. No. no. Well, in the South, is it even? I mean, no, I've never no. heard that. I mean, look. No monkeying around or yeah. whatever like whatever right. okay like that's a real phrase right but we we can't monkey this up number 1 number 2 n- number 1 that's not a real phrase number 2 take it from somebody who grew up in a segregated town me okay i can tell you that's a racist slur i heard that over and over and over again the word monkey if you couldn't if you didn't say the word the n word you used monkey that's a racist term he knows it and he used it, and and he rightfully ought to be condemned for it. And it just shows, you know what? But it's right out of Donald Trump's playbook. Exactly. I'm surprised he didn't call him a dog. <laughs> right. We don't want to monkey this up like a dog. Yeah. I mean, look. Let's just say, first of all, I agree with you, right? Like you and I both grew up around racist. That is a word that that all the time, all, all the, time. the time. It's the it's the I polite remember, way of saying the n word. I remember people having cartoons and pictures of monkeys yeah. in their home. Yes. Yes. And they weren't talking about saving the monkeys in Africa. No. No, 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 no. But, like, let's just say, which I don't believe, but let's just say that this is a phrase he wanted to use. Let's just say. It's still not, like, you would want someone who is your governor who would know better than to say something like that. Absolutely. Which, again, which, again... I think he did it on purpose, and I think he meant it in a racist way. But even if we give him the benefit of the doubt, you want someone smarter than that. Yeah. But, you know, again, this is baby Trump. This is this is baby Trump. And by the, how bad is it that he used the word monkey? So bad that Fox News put out a statement saying we don't we disagree with that language. We do not support that the use of that language. Boy, he really screwed up then. Uh, I mean, Fox News Fox had to News distanced themselves from And him. to his credit, Shep Smith yesterday afternoon invited the mayor uh, on his show on Fox to respond, uh, Andrew Gullum taking the high road. It's very clear uh, that Mr. DeSantis is uh, taking a page directly from the campaign manual of Donald Trump. Uh, but I think he's got another thing coming to him. If he thinks that in today's day and age, Florida voters are going to respond to that level of derision and division, they're sick of it. Uh, what we're trying to offer in this race was is that a racist North Star or a, or a where fig- we want to go as a state. Was that racist or a figment of speech? Well, uh, well, uh, uh, in the uh, the handbook of Donald Trump, they no longer uh, uh, do uh, whistle calls. They're now using full bullhorn. Yeah, exactly. Right out of Donald Trump's playbook. It, it, that, that's the best. And I would just hope the people of Florida. I hope Andrew Gullum is right. I believe he is right. That this has had enough of this divisive, ugly kind of rhetoric and politics of Donald Trump. I, this is a time for the people of Florida to just say, enough is enough is enough. Let's get back. Yeah. Um, may I borrow a phrase? Let's make America great again. <laughs> yeah. And get back to who we are and get out of this Trump world of ugly, negative, divisive politics. By the way, I, I don't know how you're, how you, if you're Andrew Gillum, respond to something like that other than what he did like that was the perfect answer class act that was the perfect answer. absolutely yep. absolutely and i like i have a lot of problems with the when they go low we go high and ignore some of this stuff but he addressed it he called it what he what what it was yeah. 
He yeah. tied it back to Trump, and then he was like, I got bigger things to worry about, which is great. Right. Yeah. So, um, by the way, on the political front, uh, <laughs> there's another race for uh, another primary still coming up. And one last one, and that's in New York State, where we have a very lively uh, Democratic primary for governor of New York, Mayor uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo, of course, up for re-election. Um, he's got a pretty serious challenge from uh, act- political activist and actress Cynthia Nixon, whom I love. I just wish her name weren't Nixon, because it's hard for me to root for <laughs> I Nixon. Know, I know. Uh, but anyway, they had their one and only debate of the of the primary last night and it was <laughs> it was a real cat and dog fight she uh Cynthia Nixon uh, really really kept going after Andrew Cuomo and got under his skin here's just one little exchange where he says stop interrupting me well we got two of them i guess don't first of all she goes after him Essays. Why didn't you release immediately release your tax returns? Why no didn't notice. you release your taxes in 2010 when you ran? I, you didn't release them until after the I, election. I, I, I did my more. Taxes you kept moving the goalposts. I've released you keep them for moving 20, the goalposts and have a whole different set I've, of rules released, for me than you have here, for you, and my, I don't think that's fair. I've released them for 20 years. <laughs> uh, and she really does get again get under his skin. When uh, in this exchange of and where he says, "Stop interrupting me." You don't snap your fingers as governor, and it happens. Well, it I will never happen it every if you empower the IDC please, can you and stop give the Republicans can you please control stop interrupting? of the state senate. Can you please do that? If you stop lying, and, I will stop interrupting. I, whoa! If you stop lying, I will stop interrupting. Wow. Okay. She she, she had a lot of spunk last night. Yeah. I mean, she's a good campaigner. She is a good campaigner, and she's the perfect antidote to Cuomo. Like she, she's got his number. Yeah, and she, like if you're Andrew Cuomo and you have to say, <laughs> you know, stop interrupting me during a debate, you're losing. Uh, Cuomo, who is ahead in the polls, but was pretty shaken up by the victory of Alexandria Ocasio Cortez over uh, Joe Crowley uh, in in Queens. And was even even further shaken up yesterday or Tuesday by the victory of progressive Andrew Gullum in Florida. Uh, and so he's he's looking. He hears the footsteps behind him of a progressive giving him a real challenge. Uh, and finally, uh, on in this uh, John McCain Remembrance Week today, his body will be flown from Phoenix to Washington D.C. He will lie in state in the United States Capitol onto the rotunda, in the rotunda tomorrow. Um, the memorial service Saturday at National Cathedral, his burial up at uh, the U.S. Naval Academy on Sunday. Uh, and we learned uh, to, today from the uh, New York Times that every step of this week, every particular event, the whole progression, who speaks and who doesn't, who's invited and who wasn't, all put together very methodically by John McCain starting last summer, I guess, when he first learned that he had terminal brain cancer, uh, convening a meeting every Friday in his Senate office with uh, a very small group of top aides for the purpose of planning his funeral, uh, planning these services, and who would be invited and who would not. And it was his way of sort of... um, Having the last word, and we also learned that, <coughs> pardon me, um, in addition to 
not inviting Donald Trump and making it clear he did not want Donald Trump at any of these events. There was somebody else who will not, who is not on the invitation list, who will not show up at any one of those events. Of course, Sarah Palin, whom he has also has finally now said, or finally did say toward the end in his last book, he regretted making that decision to nominate her for vice president. But he did. But he did it. Uh, and in, uh, that is going to be a black mark on his uh, on his record forever. we got a lot coming up here. Kate Martell is going to join us next from The Hill, author of the 1230 report on The Hill we tell you all about. Addie Baird from Think Progress coming along as a friend of Bill a little bit later. And then we'll be joined by Kevin Robiar from HuffPost. Great lineup coming up. And with all of you, of course, on board. So stay tuned. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back with Kate Martell. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, here we are on a Thursday, August 30. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. It is the Bill Press Show. We're coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., in our studio right here on Capitol Hill. Brought to you today by the American Federation of Teachers. Yes, indeed, the AFT. Men and women of the AFT are great teachers of America, making a difference in the classroom every day. Uh, out in California last week, visiting the teachers of our uh, grandparents, uh, uh, just represent re- representative of all the great teachers of America under the leadership of Randy Weingarten. Check out their website at aft.org. Join me in welcoming to the studio Kate Martell, who is the author of the great 1230 report at The Hill, thehill.com. Sign up, and um, if you want to stay on top of things the way we have to here and do at the Bill Press Show. We depend on people like Kate Martell. Hi, Kate. Good morning, Bill. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you again. Good job on the report. It's very lively. <laughs> it's always got uh, some funny stuff on it and some funny videos at the end. So. Got to have a sense of humor about politics these days, huh? <laughs> I know. I'm, I, I'm, I want to talk to you about what I know you're going to have up today. But first, uh, we've been at it here for a little bit before yeah. you joined us. Yes. Uh, stirring up some dust. A couple of comments uh, on social media. Let's go through some of them on Twitter, first of all, where we are tweeting at BP Show, at BP Show. Tom says, the firing of McGann yesterday was to distract from attention to John McCain. John McCain, which might not be wrong. Like, that's that that would... That would make sense. But he's been doing all kinds of stuff to try to change the subject, like uh, the trade deal, the so-called yeah. trade deal with Mexico. Yeah, absolutely. And lots of comments on Ron DeSantis with his uh, oh, yeah, slur yeah. against Andrew Gillum. Phil says DeSantis has his macaca moment. Uh, remember, <laughs> George, it was George Allen, right, that uh, that made yeah. that when he was, yeah. when he was running. Also, um, Joyce Davis said Ron DeSantis – might as well have said the N-word on air. That is so obvious. Uh, those are our comments from Twitter, at BP Show. And again, we mention this every now and then, but we are streaming live video at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show, where we have a chat room. You can join in the chat room. On the yeah, and that chat room is a lively chat room. It's lively. <laughs> yeah, it I mean, is every lively. Day it is. So, um... Uh, here's a comment join from in. Jesse James in the chat room. says, people know in Florida... Uh, who they want to lead them. Race should not matter. The issues should matter. People are fed up with these neoliberal policies that don't work for great Americans in this country. And uh, also Kent in the chat room says about Ron DeSantis's comment. Uh, part of the clip was also where he started out talking about how articulate 
Gillum was talking oh, about yeah. oh, yeah. uh, how to spread socialism. That is absolutely a racist uh, code word. Find us on Twitter at BP Show. Find us in the chat room, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. We'd love to hear from you on any topic at any time. Uh, Donald Trump, by the way, is uh, is tweeting again like crazy this morning. Oh, I saw one just uh, a few minutes ago. He's, he's really going after CNN and NBC News. Um, uh, here's the latest. What's going on at CNN is happening to different degrees at other networks. First of all, he did one on CNN saying that uh, little Jeffy or little Jeff, yeah. Jeff Zucker. By the way, yeah. the guy that Donald Trump owes his presidency to. If Jeff is Jeff Zucker, wouldn't you agree? I mean, uh, yeah. He hired yeah. him to do The Apprentice, kept him there for 14 years. Now that he's at CNN, of course, he's the enemy. Uh, so uh, Trump says, what's going on at CNN is happening to different degrees at other networks, with NBC News being the worst. The good news is that Andy Lack is about to be fired for incompetence oh, and much grief. worse. When Lester Holt got caught fudging my tape on Russia, they were hurt badly. He'd, but Lester Holt didn't fudge his tape on Russia. Donald Trump told him he fired James Comey because of the Russian thing. Right? I mean, if we it, got that yes. on tape. Yes. The tape wasn't fudged. I don't, I don't get it. But It's about changing the narratives, right? It's just... If you say if you tweet something, he thinks that he can go back and forth, and it won't necessarily have the effect. The truth is, yeah. whatever Donald Trump says, that's what the truth is. That's Rudy Giuliani's definition, which uh, may change at the time, but as well. So, in terms of video, uh, that I don't know whether you've seen this or not, but I wouldn't be surprised if you see it that it might show up in your twelve thirty report. Uh, Peter, did you see the video of Prince Harry last night at Hamilton? No, I missed it. No, I didn't see it. Well, you know, have you seen Hamilton? No, those are two yeah. things. Those are two things that I really have no room in my life for: the royal family <laughs> or Hamilton. Well, you're wrong about both. But um, <laughs> you're the, ro- I, I forgot your royal family. Guy. The highlight of Hamilton is King George when King George sings his great song. You'll be back. You'll remember. What's it? You remember how I served you well. Anyhow, it's a great thing. George, Ham- Prince Harry got up on the stage and sang a line of. From George thir- the George the Third. Oh, funny! Uh, it was really funny. You're yeah. getting the hat tip in today's twelve thirty report for that. <laughs> there, you go, there you go. There you Unfortunately, go. it's not long enough. But but he he really he really stunned everybody. After the show, they brought him up on stage with uh, his with Megan McCain. Megan, I'm sorry, Mark Markle, uh, and he sang a little song for that. That was very very funny. I thought. So, what is the news of the day other than Don McCann checks his Twitter? Yesterday and found Ooh. out some news on Twitter, right? Yeah, that's the funny part about it is that Don McGahn, um, President Trump announced yesterday morning that Don McGahn, his White House counsel, would be leaving in this fall after the confirmation fight of Judge Brett Kavanaugh for the Supreme Court. Don McGahn was not aware that this news would be announced. Um, he had, I mean, the understanding in the West Wing was that McGahn would be leaving after this fall, but he had never even personally discussed it with the president and checked his Twitter feed, and President Trump thanked him for his service and announced that he would be leaving. Um, Now, kind of what we're hearing from the inside is that there really isn't a replacement right now. Um, It sounds like Emmett Flood is another, is one of the White House lawyers, may be the person who will be replacing um, Don McGahn. He's a longtime lawyer. He worked for President Clinton, President Bush, Vice President Cheney. 
Um, is he in the council's office now? Yes, he is. So it would be kind of an internal move that wouldn't kind of ruffle feathers too much. But as of now, now Don McGahn is still kind of going to truck it out for the next few months during the confirmation battle when it's clear that he and the president don't have a good working relationship, that they've kind of had this tension simmering for years, but they've kind of kept it silent instead of having these big blowups like the president has had with a lot of people in the West Wing. Instead, they know that they have a common goal of trying to fill the courts with conservative judges. So they've kind of kept their personal issues. And that's what McGahn has been working effectively and very successfully. Absolutely. At the same time, Don McGahn, to to what extent uh, the president yesterday said he had no problem with the fact and knew all about that Don McGahn was meeting with Robert Mueller and for actually 30 some hours. Um, did 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 that influence or impact the, the president's decision? I ha- mean, had to it have. had to have. Um, president Trump is claiming. I mean, after the report came out in the New York Times a few weeks ago that McGahn had been extensively cooperating, we say extensively, yeah. thirty plus hours sitting down with Special Counsel Robert Mueller's team. Um, and after that, President Trump said, "Oh no, I gave White House staff permission to cooperate." But that came out kind of. A little too late and not quite as believable. So I think it sounds like the president wanted to wait, ride it out for a week, week or so, and wait until the right moment when he could then um, have Don McGahn step down. Because what kind of what this, the issue that was in the back and the forefront was that we can't forget that I think it was last January that President Trump was considering firing Robert Mueller. And that was when Don McGahn said, if you do this, I'm out. And it, that seemed to have really stuck with President Trump, and he kind of held off. Now the thinking is that Don McGahn may be leaving the White House, who's protecting um, who's protecting Special Counsel Robert Mueller at this point. Yeah. Don McGahn was that middle ground. Well, one thing we know is that the president doesn't have to worry, won't have to worry anymore in two days about firing Robert Mueller, because according to Rudy Giuliani, September 1st, <laughs> Is going to be the end oh, of the yeah. Mueller investigation. September 1st. That's Saturday. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Robert Thank Mueller. God we're finally going to wrap this all up. I know. We Robert Mueller's probably packing his bags today, you know. Yeah, we'll probably have a farewell party tonight at the Palm. And, oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but so the other thing that uh, reportedly, uh, Don McGahn, you're, you're right, he's been one of the voices saying, no, 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 you can't fire Robert Mueller. You can't fire Robert Mueller. He's also been saying, no, you can't fire Jeff Sessions. And he's been uh, uh, advising the president against that move. Um, Once McGahn goes, Sessions goes too, don't you think? Absolutely. There's no way that Sessions is going to stick this out. Trump is still- Whoa, whoa, whoa. Sessions, I don't think Sessions is going to quit if that's what you're saying. I think that that Trump is going to push out Sessions. Yeah, Definitely. Um, yes, Yes, I misspoke. It's not that he will be pushed out. I think that he- is kind of done. I mean, Sessions the, should resign. I think yes. if he had any self-respect, he would. But if you have a recusal from the biggest case that his agency is dealing with, that is kind of the big move. But that has angered Trump for months, and Trump has been behind the scenes trying to flip senators against uh, Jeff Sessions and talking to them, lobbying. Have, according to the Post this morning, he never talks to a Republican senator that he doesn't try to ex- extract. <laughs> A promise that you'll support me if I fired when I fired Jeff Sessions. Yes. And I mean, the prediction is after the midterms, um, just to try to keep the headlines more positive. Although that is kind of hard to say, too, because they haven't 
been trying to lay low necessarily, even though we're 68 days from the midterms. But it sounds like that's the th general thinking. Um, Senator Lindsey Graham from South Carolina was even saying that he thinks that if the President Trump likely will um, remove Jeff Sessions, um, it sounds like it's probably he doesn't have confidence and trust in Sessions at this point. So why have him stick around? Um, so the timeline that we kind of heard from Lindsey Graham is it sounds like it might be after the midterms. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier, um, and I when I saw the news about McGahn yesterday, uh, I started making a list of top aides at the White House who've been thrown out the door in the last 18 months. I mean, it's remarkable. There's it always remarkable. turnover in the White House because it's a very demanding job. Uh, it's also a very rewarding job because, you know, you're in the White House, right? Working with the President of the United States. I mean, I still never walk in the White House as often as I go there without getting a little chill and thrill, right? This is the White Absolutely. House. It's a big deal. So, but still, there's always some turnover, but we've never seen, have we, in modern times, no way. The, the, the revolving door spin like this, like the way it spins in the Trump White House. Absolutely. And I think the difference is, yes, there's usually this turnover, but there's usually this set of political operatives that sticks around, kind of rallies the troops and finds replacements. And there is this, this usually this glue that holds together an administration. And we're not necessarily seeing that in the Trump administration like we've seen with modern presidencies. Um, that, I mean, White House Chief of Staff John Kelly has said that he'll remain until 2020. But it sounds like from coming from AIDS, the chances of him sticking around are until 2020 are fairly low. And he right now is that glue that's holding together. We've seen the turnover of most positions in the West Wing. And we've seen all of this, um, all of this kind of this turmoil day to day. It's just this constant battle between the president and his aides. And there isn't this necessarily this glue that's holding them together. Oh, and and, and clearly. And I think McGahn is, is one more example of the president's um, desire to get rid of anybody who might have any willingness or ability to stand up to him on any issue, right? Yes, yeah. he yeah. likes the loyalty, the yes men kind of mentality. And yes, you've seen him time after time remove people that he thinks that aren't as loyal and aren't telling him that what he's doing is the best thing for the country. It sounds like John well, Kelly might be the only person who may it, but, but he, it, it, we know it's because Donald Trump runs such a tight ship. In fact, the funniest thing I thought he said yesterday, he was talking about uh, Don McGahn, and he was asked by reporters, so does it bother you that he spent 30 hours with the special counsel? Uh, here, here's Donald, uh, Donald Trump said, oh, no, 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 I knew all about this. I knew he was going also, you know, as you know. I had to approve it, so uh, we didn't, we didn't claim executive. Uh, no, I don't have to be aware. We, uh, we, have, uh, we do everything straight. We do everything by the book. When you think of the Trump White House, the one thing you don't think about is <laughs> everything is so carefully managed. <laughs> everything is by the book, right? Everything is done straight. It's the most chaotic yeah, White House we've seen. No chaos here. <laughs> I know right. about everything that's going down. Yeah, we have all these protocols. Yeah, no, that's not. I mean, not very believable. What a what a change from no drama, Obama. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. With Trump, it's constant drama. It is. Uh, but... every, day, uh, every day. So, uh, so McGann McGann will soon be out.
Then we see, so then we see Jeff Sessions. In the meantime, uh, and I say we've got to wait for everything until after the uh, after the midterms. One thing that's not waiting until after the midterms is Paul Manafort, uh, who has a second trial coming up starting in a couple of weeks here in Washington D.C. For now, uh, Manafort would like to see he's they've moved to, to try to get the t- trial relocated to Roanoke, Virginia. Roanoke, Virginia, which is a much more red district than obviously. I'll say right. Washington D.C. <laughs> so they think they'd get a fair, not not a fair. They think they could get a a deep red biased jury that might not find him guilty in Roanoke, yeah. Virginia. But they tried to move the first trial down there, and the judge yeah. said, "No, you're in Alexandria, Virginia." Exactly. So it probably won't. I mean, there is. And in fact, remember, I, I, I'm sorry to jump again, but the the one woman on the jury was actually a Trumper. I mean, she had a MAGA hat in her car, and she's she she's the one who couldn't agree on the 10 counts but did mm-hmm. vote to find him guilty on uh, 8 yeah. out of 10. So even here they had the Trumper, so uh, it, it's not necessarily that Trumpers will find him yeah. not guilty by version of being a Trumper. And, I mean, yes, the Manafort ger- attorneys did try to move it to Roanoke last time, but, I mean— the issue for right now for picking a jury, too, is finding people that aren't fully aware of the Paul Manafort situation. And it is so common in American politics right now that even people who aren't super engaged are aware of the situation. So to that, there is a, a small valid point there that, I mean, moving, if you're in Washington, D.C., the center of American politics, it will be hard to find jurors who aren't fully aware. So I, I understand what they mean by they want to move it a little further away from D.C., but it's still at that point, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think the judge is going to let that happen. You know, I, I hear that. Um, I wonder. I mean, those of us who are in the biz, right, we deal with it. Our life is this, right? Every, <laughs> yeah. every day. I mean, our antenna are always quivering, right? We're looking at every news source. We're keeping mm-hmm. up with the iPhone. We're keeping up with on online. Um but there are a lot of people in Washington D.C. who are not thank good for them. Yeah, who are not tuned in twenty four seven the way we are. That is very much true. Right? I mean, yeah, you and I run into them. And yes, it's refreshing. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's good. To, it's good to have friends like that. But the man, whatever happens in the second Manafort trial, again, will have a big impact on on this presidency. Leading up to a pardon, it's it's possible. President Trump keeps saying that he's not going to pardon him. The aides around him are saying that he will not pardon Manafort, and Manafort saying not going to do it. But there's a chance that this could happen. Um, we've only seen one of the trials happen um, so far. We're looking at the second one starting on September 24th. It looks like there was just another delay mm. oh, yeah, by I a didn't week. Know the date. Right. Um, and but even Mueller's team is trying to decide right now: should we be um, doing a retrial on the other 10 counts that the last jury couldn't settle on. Um, but if you add this all up, it looks like, yes, Manafort is going to be doing a lot of jail time. And I think the timing, the people around the president are saying, if you if you pardon Manafort, it's not going to bode well for your own involvement. Um, and I was reading a report this morning that um, Trump's advisors and lawyers are trying to advise him on potential impeachment proceedings. And he does not want to hear the I word. He does not want to be a part of this. And by by then pardoning Manafort, it sounds like if Democrats end up taking the House and the Senate, there will be proceedings. 
and he wants to kind of rid himself of that. And if he does pardon Manafort, that does not necessarily put him in a positive situation. So this is the week. Kate Martell with us again from The Hill. She's the author of The Hill's 1230 report, which comes out right promptly at 1230 every day. Yep, 12.30. More or less? More or less. You know, if there's breaking news, it's worth holding for two or three minutes. But hey, Give her a break, Bill. <laughs> it's before the 12.40 report. There you no. go. Oh, okay. I mean, the bill pressure, we start on time. We have to. If there's breaking news, I'm just wondering how tight it. this deadline is, but it's called the 12.30 report. And you just go to thehill.com and... Sign up, right? Yep, you can sign up at thehill.com, and it comes to your inbox every day, 1230, Monday through Friday. And it kind of has whatever's going on in national politics, whatever's coming up the next day, and try to make it lighter. You're reading it around lunchtime. We want to give you a few chuckles and a few lighter stories that can make it a little bit more fun. But, you know, there was, there have always been the morning reports, like uh, it started with roll call. Not roll, um, hotline? Hotline. Pot, hotline. Yeah, right? And then yep. Mike Allen started the thing at Politico, yep. um, uh, and and then when he moved over, you know, Daniel Lipman took it over at Politico. Mike Allen does his own thing for Axios. So they, they were the morning reports. Then you, I think you were the first one with the noon noonish report. Yes, we were the first midday. And now report. the other two have come out with I an know. early afternoon <laughs> report. So I think you scared them. Everyone's a bit. following you, us. Yes. But. Yeah. No. 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 That's good. So I know you've been covering the events of this week. This week is the John McCain Remembrance Week. And we found out uh, today from the New York Times how carefully orchestrated this entire week is because of John McCain himself, who held meetings and and planned the whole thing out, uh, starting in Phoenix, coming here, the Capitol, the National Cathedral, Annapolis, who would be the pallbearers, who would be the speakers, who would be invited, and who would not be invited. Now, uh, I know you um, your invitation may have gotten lost in the mail. Mine was. But we found out today that Sarah Palin hasn't seen her invitation yet either. Yes, that's a surprising one for me. Um, you no. can't forget that Palin was his running mate, or her, his, John McCain's running mate in 2008. No, I think John McCain would like us to forget. Yes. <laughs> yes, and that is the reason um, he kind of sees that as like a red mark on his legacy a little bit, that that was kind of one of the, the negative points of his 20, 2008 campaign. Um, but I was a little surprised that Palin wasn't because it makes the big headline. Um, but the former presidents, Barack Obama and George Bush, will be delivering eulogies. Um, like you were saying that he carefully planned it, um, John McCain called them in April and asked them to give the eulogies, called them personally, um, and has been working on every single detail that we've seen so far of um, of his funeral services through Sunday. But yes, the two p- memorable people who aren't invited are Sarah Palin and President Trump. That yeah. one's yeah. that one's expected. So it was it was a John McCain's way of having the last word. Absolutely. Right. And his farewell statement echoed that as well. Yeah, I think you have to respect that the, that the, the man is able to have the present uh, the people that he wants, right? His, his friends are people that he respects. Uh, and clearly, Donald Trump is not on that list. I'll tell you who will be there, if Sarah Palin will not, uh, is <coughs> former Senator Joe Lieberman, who was the guy that John McCain wanted as his vice presidential running huh. mate. Uh, and uh, the poobahs of the Republican Party at the time said, no, you Lieberman was still a Democrat then. And, of course, he was vice presidential yeah. can- candidate with Al Gore. 
he said you cannot put a Democrat on the on the ticket, even if Lieberman. Lieberman, remember, he even spoke at the convention in support mm -hmm. of John McCain. You have to wonder what would have happened if McCain, if we had a bipartisan ticket, basically McCain and Lieberman. A lot of people said this: what we need to bring this country together. That happened. It could. It really could have turned it, out differently. Absolutely. Not sure. Hmm. Uh, hey, Kate, it's always good to see you. Thanks so much for coming yeah, in. Yeah, right, always getting, a blast Getting us off to a good start here on a Thursday, August 30. Again, sign up for The Hill Report, the 1230 report at com. Addie Baird from Think Progress joins us next. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, Bill. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of The Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Donald Trump throws another loyalist under the bus. Yes, indeed, Don McGahn, the White House counsel, finding out he was fired. And he found out on Twitter. <laughs> mm -hmm. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? Thursday, August 30. It is The Bill Press Show. Here we are with all of you all across this great land of ours on the radio and television and online. Good to have you with us with lots to talk about. Uh, as always, the governor's race in Florida getting off to an ugly start yesterday with, um, in effect, the Republican nominee for governor uh, calling the Democratic nominee the N-word or even a worse word than the N-word. Uh, also, a lively debate in the governor's race up in New York State, the Democratic primary there with a big debate, the only debate between Cynthia Nixon and Andrew Cuomo uh, last night. It was uh, pretty wild. Addie Baird from Think Progress had been writing and following about the follow, writing about and following the New York governor's race and a lot of other of the political news of the day. Joining us in studio, Addie, nice to see you. Hi, Bill. Everything good? Everything's good. You know, we haven't had a summer off, right? It's been just nonstop. <laughs> yes, it has. <laughs> I know. So, so we run fast to keep up with it. Yes, we do. Uh, and we'll, uh, Addie will be here for the entire hours of Friend of Bill, and then we'll be joined by Kevin Robiar from HuffPost just uh, a little bit later. And most importantly, while you're out there, take the time to send us your comments on Twitter about the news of the day. You know how to do so on Twitter, at BP Show. So we'll jump, we'll jump right in, but first. This Peter. is the Full Court Press. You got it. Just a couple of other stories making news. You know, every time or every now and then a story comes across the desk here that is perfectly made for Bill Press. There is a trend among restaurants where they are banning people from having their cell phones. In other words, when you walk into the restaurant, they will check you in. Before they take you to the table, they'll say, do you have any cell phones? 
And if you do, they will take them from you. It's like a coat check, but for your cell phone. They don't want other diners to be distracted by not just talking on the phone, but texting or things like that. Now, I've seen you almost flip a table over because someone was talking loudly on their cell phone. If anybody's talking on a cell phone, it's a fight. It's yeah, it's a fight. I've seen you lose your mind over it. They're going to have my food in their face. (laughs) (laughs) So there, there's a trend now, especially. uh, you know, but taking it away from you, like I don't, I I do not use my cell phone in a restaurant. Understood, right? But I'll I like having it with me. Sure, I, I agree with that. And uh, even if somebody is like they're waiting for their friend to arrive or something and they're texting, okay. But the the, the rudest thing is if you're having dinner or lunch with somebody and that person gets a call and they take the call. Yeah, yeah. I mean. What are they thinking? Well, one of the things that they pointed out is they, they interviewed a guy who works at a fine dining restaurant in New York City, and he says every now and then they'll walk through. And again, this is a fine dining, nice restaurant. And there'll be people playing video games on their phone, oh, like with the sound me? on, you know, whether they're waiting for somebody oh. or killing time, waiting for their food. And it's just like, that's just distracting to everybody. So, you know, so, so I don't hate the idea. Do you talk on your phone in a restaurant? Never. I never. I so I'm never. Never. Want to have lunch? (laughs) (laughs) No, I I text to like like if I'm waiting for somebody and I'll look at Twitter, but I would never like pick up the phone and talk on the phone at the table. Well, that's what crazy people do. That's what crazy people do. Don't do that. I throw them out of the restaurant so fast. By the way, the other thing is is like. I just wish that you didn't have to, like, remove people's cell phones from them in order for them to, like, no. be yeah. civil people. Right, right. <laughs> One other quick story before we uh, take a quick break. Yesterday, the Los Angeles City Council voted to name – Bill, I need your help on this. Is it Rodeo Road or Rodeo Road? No, Rodeo. I, thought, I, I didn't Rodeo know if it was Drive. different for Rodeo Drive, but it's Rodeo Road has been Rodeo. renamed to Obama Boulevard. Obama Boulevard. That is the new name in Los Angeles. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's a big deal. That is a big deal. Yeah. Huh. This is the Bill Press Show. The governor's race in Florida gets off to an ugly start, thanks to the big Trumper down there, Ron DeSantis. Hello, everybody. Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us. Here we go. The Bill Press Show, Thursday, August 30. Uh, It's a big day. Uh, If you believe Rudy Giuliani, it's only two days from when the Robert Mueller investigation shuts down. We're getting that close to September 1st. Uh, Don't believe a word he says. Don't believe believe a word he says. Uh, But it's good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. Online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Thanks for being with us on Free Speech TV. And also, uh, as we join you on the great WCPT out in uh, Chicago. Uh, and by the way, I got this right here in front of me so I can remind you, not yet, but pretty soon, we'll be telling you all about my latest book, my Did new you write book. another book? Another book, Addie. Can you believe it? Oh, comes, oh, my God. Comes out next month, Trump must go the top 100 reasons to dump trump and one to keep him i'll let you guess about that one but anyhow uh just a little tease we'll tell you more about that uh where you can get one and also when when it's available and all that kind of stuff uh a little bit later 
And we welcome Addie Baird Hello. here from Think Progress. How are you? Everything good? Everything's good. Uh, and uh, the political scene is pretty lively. Let's uh, start in Florida. Born. So yeah. uh, the big upset uh, Tuesday in Florida, mm-hmm. everybody thought Gwen Graham was going to win. She's a good person, former member of Congress, daughter of a former governor and Senator Bob Graham, a friend of mine. Uh, and But there was this Andrew Gullum, who's very attractive, progressive candidate, had Bernie Sanders support, worked like hell, didn't have a lot of money, but really worked that state. Uh, and he upset the Democratic establishment. He is the Democratic nominee. Um, Ron DeSantis, of course, yes, former uh, member of Congress, who would not have had a chance, except Donald Trump intervened in the Republican primary and says, no, I don't want the front runner, uh, Adam Putman. He's, you know, he's a former congressman, agricultural yep. commissioner. I want this guy, my Trumper. And, and isn't it? Yeah, it's it's just because DeSantis was more supportive of him earlier on. Total. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and on Fox News all the time yep. defending Donald Trump. So right. Donald Trump intervened in that primary. He won. His guy won. Andrew Gullum pulls a big upset in the Democratic uh, on the Democratic primary. And so yesterday's day one of the primary – Ron DeSantis goes on Fox News and he gives us a little um, preview of what the campaign is going to be all about. Here's DeSantis talking about Mayor Andrew Gullum. Let's build off the success we've had on Governor Scott. The last thing we need to do is to monkey this up by trying to embrace a socialist agenda with huge tax increases. Uh, Yeah, try not to monkey this up. Really? Uh, what is that if not a racist slur? I mean, there's no other interpretation. And his response, you know, the campaign's response when asked about this was they said, he says this all the time. This is a phrase that he uses often. Um, and there was a, I believe it was Media Matters this morning. They went through like thousands of TV hits um, that DeSantis had done. And uh, of course, they couldn't find any other time when he had used the phrase. So it's nothing except for a racist slur and a dog whistle to the Trump base in Florida. Yeah. As we said, uh, we were talking earlier, that's that, that phrase is not one that people use, mm-hmm. right? I mean, monkey it up, monkey it up. No, but... I'll tell you, it is a racist phrase that I mentioned earlier. I grew up in a segregated town in Delaware. Peter grew up in segregated South Carolina. If you didn't use the N-word, you use the monkey word, or you use them interchangeably. I mean, does it? That's what you called black people. It's a really <laughs> ugly start to a race that's going to get nasty. It's going to get so it's bad. It's going to get really bad. Right. Uh, you know, we talked a lot about how some of these people that are running that tie, tied themselves to Trump are going to make the mistake of trying to be Trump. When in reality, I think the only person that could be Trump is Trump. You know, right? DeSantis is trying to trying to pull it off. Whether he makes whether he's successful, we'll we'll find out in November. But I mean, he is trying to run an identical campaign to Donald Trump and and be like Trump. His his ad, his like I think it was the the last ad he ran during the primary with his kid, with oh, his kid oh. and the Build wall. baby. Build wall. Yeah. yeah, I just he uh, and the it's it's really 
sort of it, it something it felt gross to me to involve the kids in it and uh but he really his in his entire brand is just loving trump and wanting to be trump and run a campaign like trump ran a campaign the question is um and Peter Hughes just alluded to it, whether the people of Florida will say, okay, look, enough's enough, right? I mean, it's bad enough to have Trump in the White House. We don't need a Trumper uh, as our governor. I, I uh, have a lot of faith in the people of Florida. I hope they see it the right way. I'll tell you who else has faith in the people of Florida is Mayor Gillum, who went on, by the way, to, to show you a sign of how repulsive what DeSantis said is that Fox News put out a statement. Yeah. Except for they didn't they didn't respond to it at all in the moment. And so I think it's a little hard to like it's absolutely telling that Fox News even put out a statement about this. But someone could have responded in the moment and been like, you can't say that, Ron. <laughs> you know, Like, it's just it's it's a little too late. And we know what Fox News is. You're but... asking too much of Fox News I know. anchors. Okay. I know okay. I am. Yeah, right. But they did. The network yeah. did put out a statement yeah. saying we do not support and condone this kind of language on the network. And then uh, Shep Smith, yesterday afternoon, the one sane voice on Fox News, invited uh, Mayor Gillum to come on and respond, um, which he did, I thought, in a very classy way. Uh, here's the mayor yesterday afternoon. It's very clear. Uh, that Mr. DeSantis is uh, taking a page directly from the campaign manual of Donald Trump. Uh, but I think he's got another thing coming to him. If he thinks that in today's day and age, Florida voters are going to respond to that level of derision and division, they're sick of it. Uh, what we're trying to offer in this race was is that a racist North Star or a, or a where we want to go as a state. Was that racist or a figment of speech? Well, well, uh, uh, in the, uh, the handbook of Donald Trump, they no longer uh, uh, do uh, whistle calls. They're now using full bullhorn. Yeah. So as you point out, that it, he, knew, he knew exactly what he was saying. Exactly. Yeah. And, I mean, the mayor is a very – he's running the exact opposite kind of campaign. And, and like he says in that clip, he's basically saying that people of Florida, like, I have hope in them. I believe that they are good. I believe they won't respond to this. And I, I hope he's right. This is the ultimate test of uh, Trumpism. Yeah. This race in Florida, right? I mean, you got a pure, all-out Donald Trump guy, DeSantis, baby Trump. And so the people of Florida say, you know, we're gonna we're, we're gonna support that. We're gonna tolerate not to, not tolerate. We're gonna support that. We want more of it. Or enough's enough. Let's go back to the sense of decency and civility in politics. Uh, not to mention um, the ability to elect the first African American governor of Florida, which would be saying something too. Although Gillum says correctly, I just want to be governor of Florida. I happen to be a black man, but I want to be governor of Florida to help all the people of Florida. And I think one of the other really kind of interesting, fascinating things worth mentioning about him is that he was the only non-millionaire billionaire yes, in the race. Yes, as he points out, right. He's, he's, you know, and I think that that's also a pretty powerful sign of the kind of um, person that the people of Florida, <laughs> at least the progressive base in Florida, um, wants to represent them. And like you mentioned, this is the ultimate test of Trumpism, but it's also... You know, Gillum is a he supports Medicare for all. He supports abolishing ICE. He supports criminal justice reform. He really is. He supports impeaching Donald Trump. He supports impeaching Donald Trump. And I don't you know, I don't think that calling them the new left is is, you know, 
<coughs> particularly I don't think that's the best way to describe him and other candidates like him because these kinds of ideas are not actually new, but they really have taken hold in a in a powerful and fascinating way in the last two years. So this is really an interesting test of the Trumpist right and uh, the progressive left in a way and the way that those two kind of facets of uh, have taken hold in the last couple of years. Uh, I think it's also very exciting that we now have um, such diversity of candidates uh, among Democratic candidates this year, including uh, Ben Jealous in Maryland. Yep. Stacey Keach, Stacey, Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams, I'm sorry, in Georgia. Uh-huh. And now Andrew Gillum in Florida. If they won, um, there have only been two black governors <laughs> elected in the United States ever. Yeah. Um, and, and no no. And two of those three are in the South, in the, right. in the con- old confeder- Confederacy. Right. So they would beat the record <laughs> in one year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it'd be really remarkable. And they're all really. Um, first, we also have the first Native American yeah. woman. The first Muslim woman. The first transgender woman. First transgender woman. No, it's just it's stunning. Yeah. The diversity of, of candidates. Now, uh, so Florida, well, I have to ask you before we leave Florida, um, I don't know myself. I've not taken the time to look. What do you know or what can you tell us, if anything? And if you don't, I'm admitting I don't know. You may not. <laughs> about this FBI investigation. I keep hearing that. I have no idea. Okay. What, what, but, which one, what are you talking about? No. <laughs> I really don't know. All right. There is an ongoing FBI investigation about corruption in the Tallahassee City Council. Huh. Um, mayor, the mayor is not a target. He's not involved in it. But it's a cloud hanging over Tallahassee that Republicans Republicans are saying, well, so we should uh, look well, into it. They're, they're going to try to use yeah, that yeah. against, uh, against Gillum. Uh, I was just wondering if you know any more than I did. No, I, I don't. I'll have to look into I'll it. I'll know more next time we talk about it. Sure. The other, there's so many interesting races, but yeah, let's jump to New York. Let's do it. Boy, New York, it was, <laughs> I got really heated last night. There was one debate, Mayor, uh, Governor Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo's up for re-election. Uh, Cynthia Nixon, actress, political activist, um, progressive, um, with the support of Bernie Sanders, uh, is challenging Andrew Cuomo. They met in debate last night. Uh, first, she went after him and said, why not release your tax returns? Why didn't no you release your taxes in 2010 when you ran? I, you didn't release them until after the I, election. I, I, I did more. You kept moving the goalposts. I released them for 20. You keep moving the goalposts and have a whole different set I've, of rules released, for me than you have here, for you, and my, I don't think that's fair. I've released them for 20 years. Oh, you can see, man. I think they don't like each other. Uh, and then... Uh, <laughs> She really gets under uh, his skin in this exchange. Oh, I hope where this. This, she's interrupting him. <laughs> yep, this is a good one. You don't snap your fingers as governor, and it happens. Well, it I will propose never it every if you year. The IDC please, can you stop? And give in, the can you please stop interrupting? Can you please do that? If you stop lying, and, I will stop interrupting. Whoa! Well, Hell yeah. the thing that got cut out of that is his response. She says, "Can you stop?" She says, "He says, can you stop interrupting?" She says, "Can you stop lying?" And he pauses and goes, "When you do." Nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> Andy. <laughs> Nailed it. That's uh, what you call a cell phone. <laughs> wow. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, man. I got to tell you. So how does this look? It's pretty one-sided, though, in the polls, isn't it? It is. And and that's a thing that I saw, <laughs> you know. So for your listeners, I used to cover uh, local politics in, in New York City and state. And so I am still very obsessed with them and, and fascinated by them. And, uh, you know, a lot of my friends who... Um, are in Albany and and in the city. We're saying last night that you know honestly it's a it's a little bit of a wash. The, there wasn't a it wasn't like there was a super clear winner. It was mm-hmm. interesting, but you know it was yeah. it was not particularly game changing. And but she did hold her own. She definitely held her own. Um, and the thing is, is that her holding her own at this point is that he's still he's he's consistently led by double digits. The one caveat there is uh, Gillum was down by about 18 points um, mm-hmm. before that election. And so you can't write you can't write things things off. Polls, I think, are as, as we've all had a million conversations in the last couple of years. Informative telling of the moment should never be taken as scripture. But Cuomo has to be spooked by Gillum's win. Yes. Surprising yes. win. And by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez yep. Yep. against Joe Crowley. I mean, Cuomo, like Crowley's an old, he's not as old, but, you know, he's been around. So long. Uh, so long. Uh, and really an establishment Democrat. Right, right. I had the same thought um, on Tuesday. There's been... A lot of moments in this primary season where, uh, you know, the night has kind of ended and I've thought, man, you know who must be kind of scared right now is is Andrew Cuomo. Um, at the same time, um, you know, Cuomo has a lot of support in New York. He has uh, labor support behind him. He has, even though uh, Cynthia Nixon is a queer woman with a trans child, the LGBTQ groups in New York have basically coalesced around Cuomo. And someone asked me the other day, you know, why that's happening. And Frankly, the answer is that people are very scared of Andrew Cuomo. He is a very vindictive person, um, and he's a very powerful person, and he knows how to wield that power. And I think that I think that Nixon will make a good showing here. I am still not convinced that she can pull it out. But of course, you know what do I know? <laughs> uh, now, related, you wrote a story yesterday that I've seen nowhere else, and that is Andrew Cuomo making a decision regarding. Harvey Weinstein? Well, to be clear, it, this was uh, some BuzzFeed reporting and some Capital and Maine reporting okay. um, that have, have done some really good work. Um, the BuzzFeed report on Tuesday was basically that uh, Cuomo had halted the investigation into uh, Manhattan DA Cy Vance's handling of the Weinstein investigation. Why? Uh, great question. They basically said it had been put on, quote unquote, pause for six months. Um, so as not to interfere with the criminal investigation. That that doesn't really make any sense. Um, there, that doesn't like logically follow um, because it's actually really an investigation into Cy Vance um, and his handling of the Weinstein probe that could, you know, perhaps uncover additional uh, information about Weinstein. It doesn't really make sense, um, and. So that was the BuzzFeed report. Uh, the governor's office confirmed it. Um, and, and as BuzzFeed pointed out, this criminal case could go on for years. If they don't want this to in- interfere with the criminal case, like Vance could be out of office by the mm-hmm. time they pick this back up. 
uh, Cuomo could be out of office. So the allegation is, or the question is, whether or not Vance could have uh, just kind of covered up the Weinstein thing? Or I mean, yeah, and, and we basically know that at this point. That audio recording came out that was very strong evidence that he had that he had at least groped one woman. Um, the Capital and Main story that came out yesterday, as I, some of your listeners may remember, as you may remember, part of the uproar around Vance's handling of the Weinstein investigation was due to the fact that he had taken, uh, I believe, $10,000 from Weinstein's lawyers and then never investigated Weinstein. Um, what Capital and Maine found is that those same lawyers had donated about $25,000 to Andrew Cuomo recently. So Andrew Cuomo takes this donation and the investigation stops. And they say they haven't had a conversation. Um, you know. Is Vance he, still on the job? Vance is still on the job. He basically ran unopposed. There was one guy who mounted a write-in campaign. But this all came out just days before the 2017 election when he was on the ballot. So... Yes, Vance is still doing his thing. As? Manhattan DA. Manhattan DA. Yes. Right. Uh, and the governor has the authority to... He basically... To shut that down or Yeah, because he initially hold? instructed his attorney general's office when that attorney general was Eric Schneiderman, who has mm-hmm. also uh, been been uh, resigned in the wake of uh, abuse allegations. Um, he instructed Schneiderman at the time to uh, pick up an investigation into Vance's handling of the Weinstein investigation. And he has now uh, instructed Barbara Underwood, who is the acting uh, uh, AG, to halt that investigation. I I find it hard to believe that anybody, especially an Andrew Cuomo, up for re-election, would do anything in any way um, to help the cause of Harvey Weinstein. I mean, if there's anybody that universally everybody sees as the worst possible human being, right? Who's the first one of the whole, that launched the whole Me Too movement because what he was doing was just so just so sick and demented and wrong. And Andrew Cuomo would help him out? I, this, is, this, by the way, this gets back to what I was saying about DeSantis earlier, right? Stunning. Like, whether or not DeSantis said something racist, I think we can all agree it was racist, but his defense is that it wasn't racist. But even if you believe that defense... It's just so stupid. How could you possibly vote for somebody so dumb to do something that insane yeah. in the middle of an election? Well, like that should like even if you have a good enough reason, which it does not appear that Cuomo does. Exactly. But well, even if he did. And and the thing I'll say, crazy. you know, you saying I can't believe Andrew Cuomo would would help Harvey Weinstein, I I can speak for Everyone, just about everybody left of center in New York who would say, Oh, yes, I can. I can. Yeah, really. Uh, Cuomo is, um, you know, I I don't want to be too uh, brash myself. So I will say again, um, you know, for people on the left in in New York City and state, um, just about the most cynical politician in America. Mm. And that is saying it says a, a lot. lot. <laughs> yes. But let's talk about two quick things. Um, Andrew Cuomo has spent most of his tenure empowering Republicans uh, through some backdoor dealing by basically uh, condoning this breakaway group of Democrats known as the IDC that caucus with Republicans. He um, helped this deal, uh, according to a lot of very good reporting. And 
basically the goal for Cuomo was to empower Republicans in the state Senate to halt um, legislation that made him look too liberal, uh, to make him popular among more conservative people in New York. Um, and then he can claim that he is hmm. the greatest liberal uh, while actually doing nothing and empowering this scheme. Um, and the other thing is just that Andrew Cuomo loves big money. Um, his campaign finance reports are littered with enormous donations uh, from lawyers, real estate developers, um, and, you know, $25,000 from Weinstein's lawyers. That means a, means a lot to Andrew Cuomo. Uh, I guess that sort of puts some light into why Andrew Cuomo and Bill de Blasio don't like each other. Oh, this is one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, <laughs> they hate each other. They absolutely hate each other. That debate ended last night. And I'm sorry I shouldn't laugh, but it's so funny with both of them saying they didn't want the mayor's I know, I know. <laughs> endorsement. Yeah. And I had a, a friend who's a reporter in Albany texted me and he he was like, it'll never stop being funny the way that they treat the mayor of the country's largest city that has half the state's population like he's some sort of a leper. And I responded and I was like, I mean, <laughs> he, he's not going to be helpful to them. That that feud with him and Cuomo has really, it started because Bill de Blasio tried to push Andrew Cuomo on universal pre-K um, and Cuomo mm -hmm. didn't want to do it uh, in an election year. He basically um, said, I can't push for something that liberal, I, uh, you know, that uh, genuinely progressive um, and de Blasio didn't listen uh, as a starry-eyed, fresh-faced new mayor, quote-unquote progressive mayor of New York City. Um, and Cuomo has never forgiven him, and, and it has spiraled from there. And they're always, they're always fighting over transit, too, right? Because I mean, the governor has the authority over the subway system, not the mayor, as I understand Put this it. on my tombstone. The MTA is a state authority. <laughs> um, and Cuomo wants to blame anyone except for himself um there's right. been and he claimed in that debate last night that he's made you know unprecedented investments in the mta um and there's been a lot of really good reporting there's a times report in particular that found that he's absolutely spent his tenure diverting funds from the mta which again is a state agency he wants to blame the mayor I am the first person to uh, blame de Blasio when it's de Blasio's fault, and it often is. This one is not his fault. <laughs> well, I th what I think speaks volumes about Andrew Cuomo is that if you took every single poll, and like The Hill this morning has a great big thing about all the potential 2020 candidates for president among the Democrats. If, if you took every every one of those stories from every publication or every poll, looking at every possible conceivable Democratic candidate for 2020, Andrew Cuomo will not be on the list. He will not be on anybody's list. He, I, and he is the governor of the of second largest state, state in the nation. He said last night that there's no chance he's running for president in 2020, huh. and the only caveat is if God strikes him dead. Again, I don't yeah, believe but, him. But he, who's asking him to run for president? Nobody. nobody. No right. one wants him. To, I mean, he is, and that's all that matters to who, him. Who, who's that congressman from Maryland, John Delaney? John Delaney, yeah. John, John Delaney, Delaney, who's already, who's already running, running for running. president? Yeah. 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 
He's a higher. He's a better shot. <laughs> he has a better constituency <laughs> than Andrew Cuomo. Than Andrew Cuomo. That's true. <laughs> and we all look for governors. I mean, governors. We look how he's so successful getting governors as their candidates, right? For the most part, uh, you know, whether it's Bush or Clinton or, or whatever. And the people are looking today, governors, governors, and Cuomo, Jay Inslee from Washington. People are talking about Jay Inslee from Washington. Cuomo never comes up on it. The governor from uh, David Burke, I think it is, or something from Montana. I don't know no. him. I don't know. No, whatever. The, the last, the last. The governor top, of Montana is the last is top more ten. The after. governor of Montana. I didn't even <laughs> recognize his name. Now I still can't remember his name. And I thought, what? But because he's a governor of a state, people look for that. Sure. Cuomo. Not on all this at all. I mean, there's a really, really good uh, New York Magazine profile. I can't remember who wrote it, but it was excellent because it basically just dug into the fact that Cuomo is both a incredibly vindictive person um, and his he's he you know people always talk about how Trump is like playing 3D chess. Andrew Cuomo is genuinely always playing 3D chess. But this profile also got into the fact that he started to lose his edge and that he's not thinking ahead in the mm. same ways that he used to and that he's really only thinking about the next step and how it is the how he can look good immediately um, and that it's it's really kind of starting to bite him, um, you know, yeah. and the fact that that's what everyone has to say about Cuomo is that he's a power yeah. broker and that he is you know, that he knows how to wield uh, power and, and play games is, I mean, I think especially in this moment for a Democrat, pretty craven. Here we go. Addie Baird with us uh, from uh, Think Progress. We'll take a quick break and uh, invite uh, Kevin Robillard to join us here at the table from uh, HuffPost. So uh, stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. Bill Press Show, Thursday, August 30. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. All right. Uh, we are well into it here, into the news of the day on this Thursday, August 30, in The Bill Press Show. Live, as always, from our nation's capital, our studio on Capitol Hill, where we're brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters, a great brave, courageous men and women of our firefighting departments across the nation. You see them in your neighborhoods every day protecting American families. Uh, salute them as they uh, drive by, hopefully, uh, or rush by, fly by. Hopefully they're not stopping at your house, uh, but thank them for the great job that they do, and we thank them for the support of the program and to the leadership of President Harold Schaitberger. Eddie Baird's with us from Think Progress. As friend to Bill this entire hour, joined now by Kevin Robillard from, who also covers politics, for HuffPost. Hey, Kevin. Great to see you. Great to be on, Bill. Hi, Eddie. Good to have you here. Oh, happy um, to stay. I want to take a break from politics here for, mm -hmm. well, sort of, for just a minute because, well, two things. Number one, we talked earlier about Don McGahn, the latest top White House aide to be thrown mm -hmm. under the bus by Donald Trump. Uh, and the question is, who's going to take his place? We didn't know. But mm -hmm. We still don't know, maybe. But Don Donald Trump just minutes ago. Oh boy! Has texted. I always get scared when tweeted, you start to when you start to read a tweet to while I'm sitting here. It. Yes. <laughs> Quote: I am. You got it up here. You want to read that? Yeah, yeah, I got it right here. I got it right here. I'm very excited about the person who will be taking the place of Don McGahn as White House Counsel. Excuse me. He misspelled Counsel again. Of course. Yes. Mm -hmm. I like Don, but he was not responsible for me firing Bob Mueller or Jeff Sessions. For me not firing. 
Yeah, sorry, yeah. he was not was responsible for me not I was going to say, we buried the lead here. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah. But he was not responsible for me not firing Bob Mueller or Jeff Sessions. So much fake reporting and fake news. Yeah. You see... <laughs> By the way, is that an admission that he you tried to fire Mueller? I believe it is. That's an admission yeah. that he tried to fire Mueller, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. I just so want to like, be clear. Just relax. So what? There's a story that says, which, by the way, we can all believe this story is true, mm-hmm. that Don McGahn was one of the voices in the White House that said, no, no, you can't fire Mueller. That'd be really, really a bad thing to do. Mm-hmm. No, you can't fire Jeff That'd be a really bad thing to do. But just because that story is out there, which happens to be the truth, Donald Trump has to tweet. And say, no, he's not the one mm-hmm. that talked me out of it. It's the thing of like, you know, they always say on on political campaigns, like the worst thing you can do is repeat your opponent's attacks. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump has no ability to not immediately engage, repeat the attack, uh, and then try and refute. But all anyone hears is the attack. But then he also says he's very excited about the person who's going to take Dom against place. Do Ooh. It? He didn't like, say. I mean, there's been some reporting that it appears Emmett Flood, who was one of his other lawyers, is the front runner to take over. Yeah. Um, but why not announce, just announce that and instead of... Because everything's a game, <laughs> <Yeah>. Kevin. <laughs> Well, you know, if He's, he fired Donald McGahn, Don McGahn on Twitter, he could hire Emmett Flood on Twitter, Twitter yeah. right? I mean, he hired one of his VA secretary nominees. I believe he had not told them and then just announced yeah, that's that that tr- person was going to be the new right. Secretary of Veterans Affairs. So it really wouldn't be that person. <laughs> By the way, I, I don't know him, but I find I, – I, I don't see how anybody could get excited about Emmett Flood. <laughs> I mean – Emmett Flood's been around. I know he's been around Washington. He's been around the for a long time. I mean, part of the Clinton not... stuff, right? Like he, he's yeah, been yeah, he's, yeah, right. So when you say I'm excited about, then it seems to me to be some yeah. bold new face, mm-hmm. right? Some higher. Everybody would say, "Oh my God!" And may, maybe if, it is. Maybe he's found someone else. But maybe well, it's Judge Janine. Oh, he he would Sorry. get excited about that. <laughs> yeah, he would get excited. <laughs> Be a big pay cut for her. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing: it's not going to be Joe DeGeneva. <laughs> yeah. He tried that, mm-hmm. uh, and it's not going to be Rudy. I, I was going to say, there's a part of my mind that I, I don't think it's r- logical or real, but as soon as you started to read that tweet, I was like, "It's Rudy! It's Rudy!" <laughs> okay. Uh, as I started to say, I wanted to get away from politics, sort of, but not entirely, uh, uh, Addie, because there's a story you wrote that I real I found. Uh, very troubling this week and also very, at the same time, very kind of heartening. And that is the story of Molly Tibbetts and her family yeah. uh, out in Iowa. And we know this is this young woman um, who went off for a jog and never came back. And they searched and searched for her, hoping to find her and found they sadly found her body where she'd been uh, killed and sexually assaulted by a man in the, who happened to work on a farm nearby who also happened to be an undocumented worker. His uh, his lawyers say that he is here legally, um, and you know, his her family has really kind of carefully carefully tread that ground and said that his immigration status is uncertain, which I think is probably the best way to to frame yeah. that. I also um, read that he was working under um, a phony security card or mm-hmm. social security card right. phony citizenship paper and mm-hmm. and so who knows who, whatever right who knows it, it doesn't matter to donald trump um who but, immediately jumped on this and used it as as proof that you know we should build a wall and that 
all immigrants are dangerous and none of that is true. Um, and the heartening part of this story, I think that you're referring mm-hmm. to, is how her family has really uh, rebuked this narrative um, on social media. A cousin of hers, another relative of hers, have uh, hit back at you know basically saying, "Don't use us to to fuel your your racist." Um, don't, narrative. Don't use our daughter. Don't use our cousin. Don't, right. Or, or, and, know, and they basically started saying, one. like, this isn't what she would have wanted. We're not, you know, her cousin, I think, said we're not so narrow minded to assume, uh, make assumptions about an entire population based on one person. Molly never would have done it. And they made the point and the same point that I've been trying to make as we talk about this story, which is just that the problem isn't that he's an immigrant. The problem is that he he didn't care when she told him to leave her alone and go away. And I think a few really interesting, well, first of all, we all the data that we have, um, and, and we do have it, we know for a fact that immigrants are actually less likely to commit crimes uh, than native-born Americans. Yeah, because they know the consequences. Right. Um, and so the idea that immigrants are inherently dangerous uh, or violent is just absolutely untrue. Um, we also know that the actual real, if you want to talk about problems with, with women being murdered, it's domestic partners. It's domestic abuse. Between two and three women are murdered by their domestic partners every single day. Um, and it's so common that that's that, that those don't become national headlines. Those don't become national stories. Right. Yeah. Um, so- and, you know, I think the only other thing... Well, not the only, but one of the other things worth just noting that's super common. Um, there's some some polling about how frequently women are harassed while running. Um, oh. About 42 percent of women, and I would say that's even low, um, have have said that they are harassed while running. I'm a runner. I come from a family of runners. You know, my mom has been harassed running. I have. My sister has. That's really common because you know. It, and the reason I bring that up is just because it's not immigrants. It's boundaries it's it's this you know and 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 kevin that's what i I thought was so remarkable on the family and so um admirable on the part of the family they Mm -hmm. said you know again don't use our loved one to fuel your racist rants here Mm -hmm. you know that that this is a man taking advantage of a woman uh and whether that man happened to be whatever the color of his skin or Mm -hmm. his citizenship status has nothing to do with it Mm -hmm. and uh, just stay away from this stay away from this which i thought was very yeah, and bold on their part. Had they not said that, the Republicans likely oh. would still be trying to use it. The, They'd have TV spots. They, uh, yeah. I mean, the same day that I believe uh, her her suspected killer was arrested, um, Trump said at a rally, "The central issue of the midterm elections, mm-hmm. I might be mangling his quote a little bit, is border security." Which, first of all, is a very interesting admittance because Republicans have been saying it's tax cuts for a while. <laughs> but mm-hmm. this is – they're actively looking, and they have been. They've been very open about this, actively looking for examples of immigrants committing crime so that they can make propaganda out of it. And it would very clearly – this crime, which I was in Iowa sort of during the search for – Mm. When it seemed that it was likely that she had died, but no mm-hmm. one quite knew where she was, it was dominating the local news there. Um, and very much they wanted to turn this into a national example of, you know, in this, there would have been ads with her face, not only in Iowa, but around the country. And 
really the thing that's stopping that is the fact that this family spoke up and said, don't use it. It's like the young woman in San Francisco. I mm-hmm. forget her name. Uh, right, which was an issue before. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's come back to, uh, and Eddie and I talked about, about a couple of these. love to get your take on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tuesday, big primaries, particularly mm-hmm. Florida and Arizona. Mm-hmm. We haven't talked about Arizona yet. What's, uh, what's the message out there? What's it look like? So Arizona, uh, if you want to look at the Democratic side, David Garcia was the big winner. Uh, I was out in Arizona, did some reporting on that primary and looking a little bit at there's a broader trend of which I think Arizona is probably the best example. In a lot of red states, Arizona is a red tinted swing state. It's one Republicans don't win by nearly as much as they used to. But Republicans have won most elections there for the past decade. Uh, Really, the only reason the incumbent governor, Doug Ducey, is vulnerable is because of teacher strikes and teacher walkouts that happened this spring. Um, starting mm. with those teacher strikes, which were over low pay and low funding for public schools, and to sort of a lesser extent over a bill Juicy had signed that would have dramatically uh, expanded sort of school vouchers and charter schools. Those, starting with that teacher strike, his approval numbers plummeted by all accounts. Uh, the Republican Governors Association is now on a big rescue mission for him. They've spent... Hmm. Uh, or reserved about $10 million worth of ad time. Uh, The Democratic candidate there who won uh, was a guy named David Garcia. He is an educator. He's a university professor. He was sort of the education analyst for the state legislature for a long time. Hmm. Uh, He's a veteran. He is definitely an exciting candidate. He's one that's going to need to raise a lot of money very fast to keep up with Ducey. Uh, And it's going to be interesting watching that and whether he can sort of crack the code to finally win in Arizona. A lot of people think having the last name Garcia will go a long way. Garcia himself has said that um, and sort of turning out his How long has it been since Arizona elected a Democratic governor? <laughs> it's been it's been a long... <laughs> well, Ever? actually not, no. Dan yeah. Napolitano. Of course. Been in yeah. the middle 2000s. Yeah, so, okay. yeah. yeah. Still a while. Still a while. Yeah. Um, and they haven't had a Democratic senator there for quite some time either. Uh, so, yeah, Democrats do not win statewide in Arizona very often. Okay. So now we've got uh, in the Senate race mm-hmm. uh, Martha McSally, mm-hmm. uh, who was, didn't get Trump's endorsement, but as soon as she won, he said, yeah. she's my girl, right? And she was very much running. It was a very interesting race in that all three candidates basically had some basis to claim that they were Trump's candidate. Yeah. Um, if you watch McSally's ads and all of these ads, McSally started when she started running – um, first, she started going on Fox News to talk about Trump a lot, which is something that also worked for Ron DeSantis in Florida. And then she basically started showing up in the White House, whatever she could make find a reason to. <laughs> um, and she had found reasons to. They were yeah. bills that she had written that he was signing, whatever. And he would always be say, you know, Martha McSally, you know, she's tough. I really like her. And then that would get cut and put into a Martha mm-hmm. McSally TV ad. Um, Kelly Ward. Um, Trump once tweeted that he was happy Kelly Ward was challenging Jeff Flake when Jeff Flake was still mm-hmm. in the race. Yeah. Um, so she would use that. Um, Joe Arpaio. Joe uh, Arpaio. Joe Arpaio. Sheriff Joe. Who finished a very distant third, we should note. Um, he really thought he was going to win, too. Arpaio, it, it's interesting. Um, at the end, Arpaio's campaign actually got taken over by two former Kelly Ward staffers um, who did not like their former boss. And really, it turned into this mission to stop her from winning. Hmm. Um, and they were fairly open about the fact that they were using Joe Arpaio, who in Arizona is still something of a political legend. Um, if you talk to people in Arizona, he's been in office for so long and was such a media hound that 
Um, I was talking to a number of people who said, you know, they knew who Joe Arpaio was, even if they didn't live in Maricopa County. Um, and he's a sheriff, which isn't normally the most high-profile position. Um, and that they would know who Joe Arpaio was before they knew who John McCain was, which seems astounding. But, like, that's the shadow this guy cast over the state. I, I'm curious if you came across the same thing in your reporting. Mm-hmm. When I've been out there and talking to people mm-hmm. – um, one of the things I found is that people really love him. Like, mm-hmm. people on the right really yeah. still adore him. But I felt it was really interesting. Uh, a, a lot of people I talked to basically said, I love Joe Arpaio. Mm-hmm. I want, I'm ready for someone else. Yeah. And I have this, you know, mm-hmm. I, I remember mm-hmm. this one conversation that I feel like was really telling mm-hmm. with this guy is that I'm a veteran. Mm-hmm. There's two people in this race that are veterans. Mm-hmm. I love Joe Arpaio. Mm-hmm. I'm, I I. He's just too old. Mm-hmm. He's, it's yeah. just time for someone else. And I think that that was, you know, I think that that was sort of what I was thinking about mm-hmm. on Tuesday was just that very distant third. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's actually telling about how the right in Arizona really feels about mm-hmm. him. Yeah, there mm-hmm. was definitely a desire that I encountered among people I would talk to at McSally rallies. They... Did not like Kelly Ward. Yes. They liked Joe Arpaio and kind of wished he would gently ride off into yes. the sunset. Oh. Um, okay. So what about Kirsten Cinema? Cinema mm-hmm. is interesting. Um, and this is one thing when people compare sort of the current resistance, whatever term we want to apply to sort of progressives challenging more establishment Democrats in this cycle. People sometimes compare it to the Tea Party. Kirsten Cinema votes with Donald Trump more than fifty percent of the time. It's it's one of the highest in the House, right? Yes. Well, among, yeah. Democrats. Among, de- among Democrats. Yeah. Yeah. There is absolutely no way in two thousand ten Republican activists would have allowed a Republican Senate nominee to be someone who voted with Barack Obama more than fifty percent of the time. It's just it just wouldn't have happened. Hmm. There would have been no way it happened. Cinema is very much running as a moderate centrist. Which is very interesting because if you go far enough back, she did not start out as a moderate centrist. <laughs> um, her start in politics was volunteering for Ralph Nader um, when he was running in 2000. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the McSally campaign has dug up um, <laughs> some of this stuff. Um, sort of the first ad of the general election, uh, which the McSally campaign had hyped up quite a bit, was um, sort of showing, I believe this was in 2003, you know, a shot of McSally circa 2003 in her flight uniform. Um, oh. For those who don't know, McSally was yep. the first American woman to fly in combat versus Kirsten Cinema, who was protesting, I believe, the Iraq war while wearing a pink tutu in some... <laughs> they're really proud of this ad. They're extremely <laughs> proud of this ad. Uh, it's very it's very interesting because they're very much trying to say, like, Cinema was protesting our troops which yeah. I don't necessarily think is true. She was protesting right. the war. Yeah. In some ways, it's a very, you know, Bush, Bush early Bush administration argument. Uh, so it's been interesting to see how that will play, whether voters will care that Kirsten Cinema did that uh, versus whether or not they'll care that she's now on the air with very bipartisan sort of safe messaging. You know, I will protect your health care, which is a pretty safe message for Democrats at this point. Uh, she's put her brother, who is a police officer, in a number of ads and sort of done, I will do a lot to support law enforcement, which is another very bipartisan, very safe message. But uh, Andy, so who would have thunk, right, that in this year, um, Arizona becomes a potential 
winning ground for Democrats. I mean, even whether they win or not, I mean, the fact that Arizona's in play. Right. Mm-hmm. It's it's and really interesting. Tennessee's in play. Well, I, that's exactly what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. It, I was talking to someone the other day, and I think someone on Twitter was mentioning a similar thing of like, it's going to be very strange if Democrats hold the number of seats they have by losing Florida mm-hmm. <laughs> and winning in Tennessee and like picking up Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the thing about Arizona that we saw in 2016 is uh, the demographics of, Ari- of Arizona are really changing. Um, and that's a, a story. I'm, I'm from Utah and that's a story throughout the Southwest. It's a story in Texas. It's a story, you know, it's it's a uh, those changing demographics. The ch- the those states are getting less white. Uh, and that's, I think, really a big part of that that story. Less white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Less red. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. In Arizona, it's really stark. Um, I may butcher the statistic, but it's something like if you are over 65 in Arizona, the population is about 80 percent white. You are under 18. The population is about 60 to 70 percent non-white, which that's a, just a huge gap oh, yeah. between yeah. the oldest people who are, frankly, the most likely to vote. Right. And um, the younger generation. And that's the key for Democrats everywhere is can you turn out young people and can you turn out people of color? Um, and uh, I for for her stumbling for her stumbles lately, I think Ocasio-Cortez is the person who actually put this best. She basically said the swing voter for Democrats isn't red to blue. It's vo- non-voter to voter. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is the key everywhere in, and in particular. A place she also like said. That, um, yeah, Joe, Joe Crowley lost us a district and he moved his family down here and da ba ba. But she said, you know, you got to appreciate the hustle, the hustle. <laughs> mm-hmm. And she did hustle. And mm-hmm. so did Andrew Gillum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hustle. And, uh, uh, you know, um, Alex, uh, Alex Seitzwald from NBC was here with us yesterday who pointed out that, that Gillum's vote really came on the, those who voted on election day. Yeah. Which yes. is interesting. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Um, which I don't know if that was an intentional strategy by his campaign. I not doubt really it. Invest in early vote. <laughs> I um, don't think anybody says, no, yeah. we're going to wait until election day to yeah. turn our people out. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh, yeah. no. I, I mean, can I tell you, was... as a former candidate, <laughs> you don't count on that. You want as many in the bank as you can and committed to you. But it worked, and that speaks to your point, Patty, yeah. about momentum, mm-hmm. energy. I mean, that's what I think, if anything, at every level, Democrats have going for them this year. Mm-hmm. Are you are you guys picking that up in your reporting? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. I mean, look, you'll go to some red state and you'll end up in some tiny county and they'll tell you that normally they get 15 people at their you know, mm-hmm. yearly dinner and this year they got 200. And I've heard that from Democratic county chair after Democratic county chair after Democratic county chair. And that's... That is the number one thing Democrats have going for them. And it's I mean, it's to be expected when the out party from the White House usually has more political energy. And Republicans will admit this. Mm -hmm. Um, It's when I was in Arizona, actually, for Mm -hmm. uh, the special election in April, Debbie Lesko consistently was like, Democrats feel the way that we felt in 2010. Mm -hmm. And, you know, quickly spins it to like, you have to show up, Mm. you know, you have to fight this, this, you know, socialist agenda, which is Mm -hmm. a crazy thing to call Geralta Verneni. Um, But it's very, it it is, the enthusiasm is absolutely there. Mm -hmm. And um, I think one of the things about Gilliam in particular is that he really did get a lot of grassroots endorsements in the last, you know, couple weeks leading up to the election. And 
I think that, you know, in the as those rolled in, I was like, oh, this is interesting, you know. But I think it really did change the tide, that it really kind of, that though that kind of grassroots energy really turned out voters. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. we were watching results come in and uh, Broward County was the last county to come in and he was up by like half a, half a percentage mm-hmm. point, I believe. And when we realized um, that the election day vote had not yet even been counted, that's when we knew it was over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is he too left for Florida? Is Ron DeSantis too right for Florida? <laughs> I mean, that's that's essentially the question here. Both yeah. of these people are probably outside of – Florida's political mainstream would be very difficult to define because it's like yeah, five right. states smushed together. So it, I I don't think so. Um, but this is a test. This really this is. is. This is a, and I mean, it's look, it's, it's really the test yeah. of this strategy that progressives have been saying – for years, this is how you should win. And they said this in 10 yeah. and 14 and the DS and the DGA right. and everyone right. shut them aside. Turn yep. out young voters, turn out minority voters. And that's what and we've Kevin's got. Gonna try to do that. Kevin, thanks so much. Heidi, thank you. thank you. Have a great day, folks. See you tomorrow. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.